This podcast is brought to you by Watch City Research, your user research partner. Check out WatchCityResearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 97 UX Things podcast. Dan Berlin here, your host and book editor. I'm joined this week by Daniel Diener, who wrote the chapter, Don't Estimate the Power of Coworkers as Usability Participants. Welcome, Daniel. Hi, Dan. How are you? All right. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about our chapters. Yeah, no problem. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yes, of course. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm living in Germany. I'm now working since five year, uh, no, nine years at uh, Porsche, so the car manufacturer in different positions. And uh, because our chapter is now two years ago, I was uh, remembering that when I was writing the chapter, I was uh, building up the uh, UX design operations team at Porsche for digital products. And now I joined a different position. Now I'm for nine months a product manager uh, for our rental and subscription platform at Porsche. Mm -hmm. So we are now giving people the opportunity to experience the thrill of driving a Porsche. So our product vision. Very nice. Sounds fun. Oh, yeah. Is it? So you mentioned that transition from research to product uh, management within Porsche, but can you tell us your entire UX journey there? How did you discover UX and, and wind up where you are today, please? Yeah, I kind of uh, stumbled into the topic. At the beginning of my career, I was uh, studying sport management, and then I worked uh, in the online marketing field for a soccer club in Germany. And one of my first products was the development of the new website from for the soccer club. And yeah, I don't know how but and why, but somehow I was motivated to create a kind of prototype to just explain the agencies, explain uh, to other people how I was imagining how the website should look like. And it was the first time that I was using a wireframing tool. It was yep. uh, Balsamic back in the time. I'm not sure if it's uh, still available, but it was a nice tool also to show, yeah, like I said, other people, other stakeholders, what was my idea. So this was basically the first time that I somehow get into into UX, but I didn't call it later than uh, user experience. And yeah, after the really, really emotional time at Dortmund I um, or at the soccer club, I went to Porsche and there I have different uh, positions. But at the end, uh, I was part of the marketing communication department and we were responsible for corporate design, um, the corporate identity. So basically, we approved all the screens um, that agencies or people were doing. So we were a kind of approval. But to be honest, I was more into it. Um, what was the thought behind the screen? So how did these people get there? And um, this was more my interest uh, or I was interesting. And this was also the idea or also the starting point where I get into design and also UX. So basically, I'm not sure, but maybe I was one of the first UX designers in the digital field at Porsche in an e-commerce uh, store. Mm -hmm. And this was really nice experience. So also doing some things for one product, but at the end, I saw, okay, it's really nice to do it also for more and more product. This is why also the idea became uh, to build up uh, UX knowledge, build up UX methods also for other products at Porsche. 
And this was also our starting point to develop a UX design operations team. And this I did for five years and it was an amazing journey. And in that time, I also was writing the chapter about that we are talking today. Great. Yeah. Thanks for all of that. Do you remember what inspired you to make those wireframes uh, for the football club? Yeah, sometimes I was thinking that um, it's hard to express ideas when you're just talking about that. And for me, it was easier to display it and to show it when I was mm. doing the wireframes. And when I did it, I was also thinking about, okay, is it really working the way that I'm thinking? And so I also was uh, first testing some of the first ideas that I had also thinking about how to structure the content, how to structure some of the kind of elements. And yeah, I didn't call it UX, but it was becoming somehow yep. the first steps in my UX career. And uh, I saw that it's when you're showing something, it's easier for people to understand, it's easier for people to discuss, and it's also easier for people to give feedback, what's maybe not working, what's working. And it was also nice because I was sitting close to our developers uh, back in the time. So the discussions were some were on the other level. So they were more and more detailed than when I was just expressing what I was thinking with word. Very nice. Okay. Makes sense. So yeah, you mentioned your your chapter. You were building up the UX team while you were build, mm -hmm. um, writing the chapter. Don't underestimate the power of coworkers as usability participants. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, at Porsche, it's uh, really nice because I have lots of nice colleagues. So for me, it was obvious that when I'm doing a product, when I'm doing some kind of prototypes, I'm just asking some of my colleagues to get fast feedback because, um, yeah, asking or also recruit customers to talk about wireframes, to talk about ideas, it's sometimes a bit difficult. And then it um, was also my first experiences when we are creating the first digital products, when you're releasing every day or every sprint. So you need to be really, really fast. And I went also in the situation that I said, okay, I don't have enough time to test it. Okay, just build it. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't feeling right from my point of view. And therefore I was thinking about different uh, different possibilities. How can I do it? Because recruiting customers, getting valuable um, feedback from them. It's a lot of work to do. You need to be really, really good prepared. And then I saw, okay, when I'm just talking with colleagues, I really also get valuable feedback because they have also a good opinion. They also have some domain knowledge out of their work. And it was valuable because they were thinking about things that I didn't saw when I was um, creating my my kind of product. And yeah, this was the reason why I was thinking, okay, this is a really, really good source for me. And it's also fitting perfectly to this way how we are creating digital products with this fast and iterative ways working in two week sprints. And uh, in one of my uh, previous projects, then we started to also work in two big sprints, but we recruited colleagues for each sprint to test these kind of ideas. So it, it's getting more in a continuous way, in a continuous flow. So we also ha always had on the, it was the second Friday, it was a testing day. So I could be prepared. So 
I, I was really, really sure at the beginning of my uh, work or at the beginning of my sprint, okay, this is the day when I want to test. We as a team could be prepared for that. And it was also uh, easier for me to prepare also uh, or recruit some participants, some colleagues, and also from different departments like um, accounting, like purchase, sales, customer service. And with every, every test you saw, hey, it was really amazing what kind of feedback they gave to me. It was a good source of knowledge. And um, also for the colleagues, it was really nice because they saw, hey, ah, it's really nice what you're developing. I can give you some kind of feedback. You're building up this feedback. So maybe the customer won't ask in the customer service for this. So this was the beginning of the way that I was thinking, okay, I need to ask my colleagues or it's easier, faster for me to ask colleagues before I was uh, testing with customers. And I don't say that, um, please don't test your customer. It's really, really important. It's valuable. And from my point of view, also one of the most important things. But I'm also saying, okay, if your colleagues are not able to use your product or don't understand your product, then the customer won't do right. it the same. So yeah, this was the, the intention also to write this, uh, this chapter um, because it was for me a huge, a huge way towards getting faster, getting valuable feedback, and also at the end, creating better products for our customers. Yeah, you make a great point about how, you know, okay, sprints are good in terms of iterating and mm -hmm. advancing the design, but the, the, the research operations associated with bringing in participants every two weeks and the expense associated with that, um, you can alleviate that with, with you know, your, your coworkers as participants. My, my question for you there is about bias and you know, use, is using coworkers biasing your research and is there a way uh, to get around that? Yeah, so of course they are um, having a bias that's um, you cannot, it's not really easy to get uh, rid of it. Um, but from my point of view, when you're testing for at least testing usability, there are some points that they, uh, of course, can help you. So I wouldn't use coworkers when you're trying to research some things like user needs, some behaviors, some um, behaviors of your customers. There are coworkers cannot help you because there the bias is really really big. Yeah. But all the things when you're t uh, testing or when you want to conduct some testings about usability. They are really, really good and can see almost the same things that customers can also see. And therefore, when you're uh, talking with your colleagues, then just keep in mind, do testings and usability testings with that, but never use it for uh, user needs evaluations or for some other research methods. Don't do it. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great point. Stick to coworkers for, for usability, but avoid it. Avoid them for generative. How about finding the right co-workers to have as participants. Do you have any tips in terms of finding folks to bring in? Yeah, uh, that's really important step. So uh, when I was starting, I built up a database and also a huge network. So I was connecting uh, with other peoples uh, at the beginning that I know. And after testing, I was also telling them, hey, uh, please, if you know somebody else who would like to uh, do or give some feedback, please just let me know. So 
um, the first tip that I can give, um, start to build up your database, start to build up your knowledge, uh, network, and then it's getting easier for you also to recruit uh, people because you also don't want to bother them and recruit all the time the same colleagues, the same people. Right. And it's work. It's a hard work also to build up the network, but it's counting and it's it's valuable and it will help you to be really fast and efficient. So you can also use kind of tools that you're using in your company. So for example, if you have a Microsoft Teams account, you can start to build up a group where you're posting some uh, invitations for testings, you're building up your community, you're sharing the link uh, that they can just join the community and see some kind of new testing. So there are multiple ways and multiple tools that you can use, but it's work. You need to do mm -hmm. it. They won't come to you. Right. I, I always say to folks that recruiting is the worst part of our job as researchers. Yeah, but can also be, uh, make fun because uh, networking, getting to know new people could be also fun. So great point. Start to enjoy your recruiting. <laughs> you, you mentioned tools um, mm -hmm. or what tool are you using to track participants are you using just a spreadsheet or are there other tools you're using? Yeah. Uh, so on the one hand, you need to uh, take into account also data privacy when you're talking mm. with your, uh, with your colleagues, uh, because at uh, Porsche, you need to really take care of it sure. because it's really important for us as a company. So mostly spreadsheets are helping you to know, okay, how often did I contact somebody? But um, at the beginning, when I was starting, it's more about a feeling. So you know who was participating. Right. Uh, you also conducted the, the testing. So you're, you're aware of if the people are willing to do another testing or if it was just a, a way that they said, okay, I want to do it for you, Daniel, because I know you, but um, not for anybody else. So for right. example, but um, tools can support you and if you're allowed to use some of the uh, database tools they can make it really really efficient for you to build up your network build up your database yeah and uh, to be honest this uh, was also one of my advices <laughs> maybe later on but there are so many tools online that you can use so uh, also after covid the people are used to do um, video calls so beforehand it was yeah, not familiar for you. And right. today, if you're just going into the internet, you can find lots of tools and lots of uh, software that can support you in the entire UX research process or in the UX design process. Mm -hmm. And you just need to use them. What, uh, do you have some examples there? What software in particular? Uh, for example, when you're um, doing um, analysis, you can use Dovetail. Dovetail mm. as a research repository also that for example, uploading your videos and analyzing with a transcription software and also supporting you with uh, tagging and analyzing the software. And from my point of view, one of the most important thing, also sharing your insights and sharing your, your knowledge. So mm. therefore, for example, Dovetail could really help you or UXPIN when you want to build up some uh, prototypes, really fast prototypes to have also high fidelity things that your colleagues can test. So yep. this can also support you. And there are many, many more that um, we are also tried to use. And we also invented at Porsche within my previous role at 
the UX design operations team. Yeah, cool. So Daniel, what, what else from your chapter were you hoping to convey here today? Yeah, there are, from my point of view, two points that I would like to mention here. So on the one, uh, on the one hand, it's ritualize your research. So when I was starting with um, yeah, testing my products, it was more or less uh, not ritualized. So it was always stressful because you just wanted to get as fast as uh, as you can some kind of feedback. Yeah. But when I started to realize, okay, when I just do it on a Friday, then it's not as stressful as it was before because you can prepare. It's also uh, easier for your colleagues that they can um, get out and um, schedule their day. So they are aware that you can, or they are aware that on Fridays there are some testings. So your database is uh, already aware of that. So ritualizing the research is helpful and was really, really helpful for me to have this organ organized way. And the second point, it was building up a community event because um, I was doing all the things I was doing the research, but from my point of view, or I also wanted to um, have the possibility or give other teams the possibility to get this knowledge and also to have the possibility to test with coworkers. So we started at Porsche an event that's called uh, Usability Testing Marketplace. So it was um, taking place once a quarter. It was uh, uh, the first two times was a live event. So teams had their own stands where people could test their products. So we had uh, some laptops where you can test the digital products, but uh, also somebody bring some Lego stones uh, where he did a card sorting, for example, hmm. or they uh, printed out some kinds of uh, websites and did say some AB testings or preference tests and other things. So it was really amazing how creative the uh, my colleagues went. Yeah. And um, we had five um, teams that participated at this event. And then we are to some advertisement or just get uh, on the floors and said, hey, come, you can test your products, go from stand to stand and uh, see what the uh, what people are doing. And from my point of view, this event on the one hand helped other teams also to get aware that testing is helpful, that also testing with colleagues is helpful. And it was also a nice event for uh, colleagues because they can just, instead of doing a coffee break, they could go there and yeah, conduct some testing, learns, um, learn some new products and also get to know some uh, other colleagues uh, from Porsche. And this was nice. Um, during COVID, we did it in a remote way. It also worked, but um, the atmosphere was not there. Right. So I'm hoping that uh, now we will also do it um, on face-to-face -face meetings because right. it was amazing. Yeah, that sounds wonderfully fun. What what a great way to get buy-in from your coworkers to show them what you're working on and to show them your process. That sounds mm -hmm. wonderful. I think there's also online uh, article about that. So there oh. you can also see some uh, pictures when you Google my name, then you can find it yep. because we, it was amazing. I really liked the event and I enjoyed it. And what was it called again? It was a usability testing marketplace. When you're searching it with Porsche, you need to find it. Or you will find it. Great. Uh, one question I want to come back to is the matter of incentives. 
uh, comes mm-hmm. up a lot when we're dealing with participants on the outside. Obviously, we have to incentivize them for their time. Do you ever have to do that with coworkers, or should you? You could, or you should also give them some kind of incentives. So, for example, some lanyards and all the things that uh, you could. But at the beginning, I didn't. I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> it was yep. totally okay for them to uh, spend the time together with us. Because one of the uh, incentives for them was also to learn, to learn and get to know some kind of products for Porsche. And they, it was already in value for them. And right. this was amazing. This was the reason why in the first testing sessions, I was never thinking about uh, incentivation. But as we, uh, when we did the um, usability testing marketplace, we of course had some pretzels, some, some local food and some, also some drinks. So... Yeah. This was incentive enough and the people enjoyed it. Food always brings the people. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, you're totally right. (laughs) That was helpful. (laughs) So Daniel gave us a lot of great information here today. I really appreciate you talking about your chapter. In our final section, we'd like to get a career tip. Uh, So is there a career tip you'd like to convey to people either breaking into the field or who have been doing this for a while? So my career tip is build up your toolbox and tool knowledge. So when I was starting, um, I was always using some software and some tools that you can find on the internet. And I was always looking for tools and for software that can help me to do the entire workflow from creating digital products. So from recruiting people, there are lots of software outside that can help you also with uh, cheap money because it's you can do it really easy and really fast and uh, cost efficient if you want mm-hmm. to do then from for prototyping for creating some screens till analyzing there are so many things outside there that you can use and then you are prepared for everything because from my point of view spend the most time um, of your work thinking about problems thinking about to solve problems and use tools this makes you really really efficient um, to yeah work or spend your time on work that will solve customer problems or user problems and not waste too much time in inefficient work. So as we saw uh, told at the beginning of our uh, session, recruiting, recruiting could be really, really harsh, <laughs> but if you have the right tools, if you have the right software, it can be really fast and also efficient. Yeah. And this is the most important thing. Well, thank you for all of that. Uh, you gave us a lot of great information here today. Uh, my guest today has been Daniel Diener, who wrote the chapter, Don't Underestimate the Power of Coworkers as Usability Participants. Thanks for joining us here today, Daniel. Thanks, Dan. And thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this. The 97 UX Things podcast is a companion to the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know, published by O'Reilly, and all book royalties go to UX nonprofits. The theme music is Iron Lung by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I'm your host and book editor, Dan Berlin. Please remember to find the needs in your community and fill them with your best work. Thanks for listening.